Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 34, a long passage. You've, you're familiar with a lot of it, so I'll read it real quick. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where these critters can't get in and destroy and thieves can't break in and steal from you. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to go. No one can serve two masters. We think we can, but Jesus said you cannot. Either you will hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and undervalue the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. You know, you're more valuable than that, is what the Lord is saying. He says, is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Let me say this, they don't have to at my house because she spends our money buying bird seed for the feeders all over the yard. I could cut my bills in half. I got rid of those birds, but God's using her to take care of them so they don't have to work. And there it is in scripture. And yet your heavenly father feeds the birds. Are you not more valuable than a dumb bird? This is Jesus arguing with you. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Nope. Well, why do you worry about clothes? That's to our wives. <laughs> Are y'all okay? Can you relax? I love to take Scripture apart and apply it to everyday life the way it really is, you know, but I do need a little help. It would be nice. You look like you're just waiting for the doctor to give you the diagnosis. Uh, see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor. They don't spin. But I tell you, even King Solomon, all of his wealth and splendor, wasn't dressed like one of these. And then he reasons with you. If that's how God clothes grass, which is here today, tomorrow, thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans worry about those things. And your heavenly Father knows, this is important, you need them. God's not against things. He says, I know you have need of them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all this stuff will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Dear God, isn't that true? Amen. We just got to take today. Tomorrow will have plenty of stuff for us to deal with, I can assure you. If you've ever watched football, I'd like to, if you've ever watched football, you probably noticed between nearly every play, there's quite a bit of activity on the sidelines and the playing field. Some players running on, some players running off. And we know what they're doing, right? They're making substitutions. Most teams don't rely on one running back only or one wide receiver or one linebacker. They usually have at least two, maybe three in the lineup, and they will switch them out depending on what they need to do during a game. But there's one revolving substitution that teams almost never make. In fact, they typically don't take this player out at all unless they absolutely have to. I'm talking about the quarterback. You can win a game with two or three different running backs or wide receivers, 
But to be most effective on offense, you need one and only one quarterback at the helm. In the past, teams have tried to develop a two-quarterback system. Even the great Tom Landry of the Cowboys tried it in the 70s with Roger Straubach and Craig Morton, but it didn't work. Other teams have tried it. It has never worked, certainly not consistently in the modern football era. And that's because the quarterback is the team leader on the field, and the team needs only one leader. The same could be said for head coaches. You can't have two different head coaches on the same team, each developing their own game plan, and have the team follow one coach on one play, another coach on the other play. The team would end up in chaos and total confusion. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Listen to Jesus, right? It's the same in your personal life and mine and in your spiritual life. If you want your life to be cohesive, to make sense, to go somewhere good, to accomplish something worthwhile, you need one leader, one boss, or to put it bluntly, one master. This is exactly what Jesus said to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, in the text we read earlier. Nobody can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, that, that principle applies more than just money. This is just the application Jesus is making in his message. He was talking about money. So he's reminding his leaders that you can't serve two masters, God and money. Money isn't the only competing master in my life or yours. It's way up there, though. It's way ahead of most other things. For some, however, it's a different master in competition. See, for some, it's an addictive behavior. For others, it's sex. For some, it's power. For some, it's old-fashioned selfishness, living for me, me, me. But Jesus said, not an American, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Even the great theologian Bob Dylan, in that album, Slow Train Coming, he's got a record single in there called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Thank you, Bob Dylan. They won't listen to God, but maybe they'll listen to Bob Dylan. An EMS worker I read a couple of years ago was calling on a drug addict's apartment with a 911 call, and when he walked in, he saw the apartment completely trashed, needles and paraphernalia all over the floor, an emaciated body laying there unconscious, no food in the refrigerator, and this man said, for the first time in my life, I now know what real worship is. There's an addict dedicated to one master, a needle. It's hard to serve a multiplicity of masters, and yet it doesn't keep us from trying. However, you can never become the person you were created to be when you spend your life seeking to satisfy two masters. Now, I'm talking specifically today about our relationship with God. If you've been toying with the idea of living a Jesus and something else lifestyle, or a Jesus and someone else lifestyle, I hope I can challenge you this morning, encourage you, exhort you to put that second would-be master aside and develop instead a one-master mindset. In other words, who's going to be the final say in my life? No, it's not going to be my wife. She'd like to be, but it's not. She's pretty, pretty, pretty high up there, but 
obviously, uh, the, God's word, he's going to have the final say with me. That's it. You've got to decide. You've got to serve somebody. I'm not always happy. Would you be okay if I told you, I don't like every call the Lord makes. Do you? <laughs> Somebody call 911. I see dead people. Come on. Stay with me. So I want to start a brand new series. It's simple, but it's called Living Intentionally. It's designed to help us discover the power of focused living. Focus, because we've got a lot of distractions that are vying for competition from the Lord reigning in my life. And that didn't mean you're religious. It just means your life's going to be guided by what God says. He's, I gave him my life. He redeemed it. He paid the price for it. He has a right to call the shots. That's all. I don't like all the shots he calls, neither do you. But I know they're right. I know they're good for me. I know they'll glorify him. And I know overall they'll keep me out of trouble. I've watched enough train wrecks to kind of know. Haven't you? You know, do you really need the experience if you've already seen the experience? Some of us grew up in broken homes. Some of us grew up with friends that are dead now. I mean, why do you have to experiment when you've seen the experiment and the price it costs those people? I don't need that one. I already saw it. There are some things in life you only get one of. For example, you only have one life to live, one chance at life. No repeats, no recycling, no going back to the crib, no starting over again. You get one life. I wouldn't want to go back with you unless I could know what I know now. If I could keep what I know now, I wouldn't mind backing up to my 30s. But if not, no thanks. So I get one life, and I need to live the one life I've been given with one objective, one primary purpose, and in order to do it, I got to have one master and one master only. And for me, it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be the final authority in my life. So in this series, we're going to look at some of the ones that require our exclusive attention. And today's a biggie because we're talking about whatever it is that stands in competition with the Lordship of Jesus over my life. Now, Jesus said it could be money. It could be many other things. In today's text, Jesus uses the example of money, and he teaches some principles about how to deal with money when and if it becomes a distracting force in our lives. Let me say this. In my lifetime, I've been with, in church, here and in South Carolina, three different men who were not wealthy but rich. One of them cleared $3 million a month. I could live on that. Anybody with me? And in every case, these are good people, in likable people, many great uh, traits. They were in the church, and I just kind of knew what's going to happen. Then they started buying other houses and other places. One got a jet, and pretty soon, because of the money, they started chasing pleasure and forgot their purpose. It wasn't probably intentional, and then they got a new set of friends in the jet set, and those people were not saying, let's go to church tonight. And as a result, it took them out of the purpose of God and gave them the opportunity to indulge in pleasure. And every one of them has run through three marriages and multi, multi millions of dollars. And I thought God lost a great resource for the kingdom. That's a sad thing. I told one of them one time, I did personally over lunch. I said, how many cars are you going to buy? 
you can only put your rear end in one car at a time. And you got millions in these cars. I said, we could have already built a youth program, a new building. We could have had a gym, paid cash. Wouldn't even have to receive an offering. And how many houses can you have? How many lake properties can you have? How many jets can you sit in and fly? I said, you were put here for a purpose. Enjoy the good life God's giving. Nothing wrong with that. But don't be sidetracked and seduced out of your purpose, which is working with the team and somebody who could provide resources. We got people who can provide technical experience, people who can provide legal experience, people who are great at helping other people. You need the whole team together. And the enemy took them all out, took every single one. I'm, I'm sure these people love Jesus, but they got seduced and they started chasing pleasure and then pleasure became more important than purpose. That's where you got to be careful. That's all, right? Come on. Come on. Talk to me over coffee. Come on. Come on. I bet you could tell me some people like that. You can apply these principles to any area that stands between you and your commitment to Jesus. If you want to live a one Lord lifestyle and you find yourself in competition with all these other things, trying to steal my love and take charge of my life, there are three things you got to try to do in order to keep Jesus first. And I'll hasten to say that it's not a one-time decision you make in a flurry of emotion. It's every day. Every day. I don't know what today, tomorrow will throw at me, but I've got to make this decision each and every day. First of all, in order to live a one Lord lifestyle, make it your objective every day to pave a road, a path for your heart to follow. Pave a path for your heart to follow. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasure in heaven, uh, on earth where moths and thieves break in and steal. And by the way, Cindy and I have been robbed twice. Everything. Everything of value. They left stuff that wasn't valuable, but everything valuable. I've been through that rodeo twice. And that's with security systems. So, and after my birthday party, when I was 70, oh, that's going to date me, isn't it? 70. And I, everything I had been given, and my friends from around the world flew in, and I was given some expensive gifts. Gone. In one day, gone, right after the birthday. And I, but I've been to that rodeo before, and I didn't let my heart go after that. I was ticked off. I probably said something beside praise the Lord. I probably did. Okay, I just want to keep it real. But I said, all right, well, my life doesn't consist in the abundance of things. It really doesn't. I don't know. I told a guy that gave me a sports car, free, title clear, still have it. I said, if you ever get in trouble and you need it, the title's in my safe, you can have it. I will never let junk take my heart. I won't do it. I will not do it. I'll burn it, give it away. I could care less. If Cindy said your Porsche just got burned up, the one that was given to you as a gift, I have to say that so people watching will know church didn't buy it, and I didn't buy it, my wife wouldn't let me buy it, and I couldn't afford to buy it. That being said, if she said, I'm so sorry, it caught fire and it burned down, I said, are you okay? Well, we got insurance on the house, just fix it, you know. I got insurance on the car, <laughs> but I wouldn't replace it. <laughs> She wouldn't let me put the insurance money back on a car, I'm sure, not on that. <laughs> this is just us talking, okay? This is not preaching, this is just talking, all right? But 
I'm saying, if you, can you let something, if you can't let something go, it's got you. Don't, don't let anything, don't let a person, don't let a group, don't let anybody possess you but Jesus. Nobody going to own me. No, no, no. I'm bought and paid for. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And then the critters can't get it. The thieves can't break in and steal. And here's the key. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Your heart follows the direction of your money. Jesus said so. If money is my chief source of security, it's going to be my chief source of anxiety. Let me pause and say this. If you have your children in a certain school in a certain part of town, and you hear there's been a shooting, first thing a parent wants to know is, where's that? And if they say at the school where your child is, your heart's racing, you're headed that way, you're on the phone with your spouse or somebody to find out, is my child okay because your treasure's over there? If I hear two schools just burned down over here, that's bad enough, but it doesn't make your heart race because you don't have treasure there. Would that make... I'm trying to find an illustration that, that's pretty good. If I've got my money in something, my heart's there, Jesus said. My heart's in this church because my money, I mean lots of my money, is where I'm here. If it isn't here, I ought to be somewhere else. You check your checkbook and you can see where your heart is real quick. I don't care what comes out of your mouth. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. That means I can make a path for my heart to follow. So I have a lot, my money follows my wife. So, so my heart follows my wife. Why? That's, a tra- that's my treasure. My two grandchildren, my, I, would, I would give my life for them. It's a treasure. Now, I don't have that many treasures, but he's trying to say that's the only place your heart's going to go, where your treasure is. So where's your treasure? That's where your heart will be. So what Jesus is saying, and we know it to be true, is that if money is my obstacle and greed is my God, then generosity is the best way to move my heart in the right direction. If money's in the way of my ability to surrender completely to Jesus, then loosening my grip on it is the best way to loosen its grip on me. Then there are those who will say, well, Rick, money isn't really an obstacle for me. It's something else. It's a dysfunctional relationship. It's sports, it's an addiction, it's pride, it's an affair, it's selfishness, and you can fill in the blanks. So regardless of what the obstacle might be, the principle is the same. Every day, I need to, you need to pave a new path for my heart to follow. In Jesus' words, store up a new treasure. So if the obstacle in your life, for example, is unhealthy and inappropriate attitude towards sex, you move away from whatever's feeding that appetite. You got to cut that off. If you move towards something, you move towards something better. If the obstacle is addictive behavior, you want to move away from people or whatever feed that. How about you can say if your kids are around certain kids, they get a funky attitude when they come back home and you can say, oh, who have you been with? It brings out the worst. Well, we are adults, but wrong people can bring out the worst in you and in me. Well, I need to cut off that friendship or move away from that crowd because it's not bringing out any good quality in me. That's all I'm saying. 
So whatever your obsession might be, you want to move towards something better. Investing your money in ministries and projects that have eternal value will jumpstart your heart, get it moving in the right direction. Investing your time and your energy and your effort and your attention in projects that are edifying and uplifting will give your heart also the start it needs to get moving in the right direction it needs to go. So if you want to live with a one master, one Lord mindset, take the first step towards loosening the grip the competing master has on your life. And then you begin by paving a path in your daily life that your heart will be able to follow. Here's the second one. In order to live a one Lord lifestyle, make it a daily objective to take your thought life to the next level. Take your thought life to the next level. Verse 25, Jesus begins talking about worry, and he makes reference to many of the things we obsess about, the basics of life, the comforts of life. And he tells us, you don't need to worry about these things. I love the way the King James says it. This is verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature or a foot to your height? Taking thought is a phrase that refers to being anxious or worried. Then in verse 31, he says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? There is a strong connection between what we think and what we say. The more we think about it, the more we talk about it. The more we talk about it, the more we think about it. And pretty soon, this lack of trust in the provision of God dominates our mindset and our behavior. It's a fact. One of the things that prevents us from living a one Lord lifestyle is that we find it difficult to put our trust completely in Him and Him alone. We find it difficult to believe, He'll really take care of me. It's fear. Plain old fear. Lack of trust. You know, you need a little bit of a track record. You know, David didn't just go out and face Goliath. He, uh, he would probably kill some jackrabbits and foxes with his slingshot practicing. Then he got a lion. He got a bear. And when he got to the giant, you see it's progressive. He said, well, the Lord helped me kill a lion and a bear. I'm taking you down too. You'll have that kind of confidence because you have a history with God. That's why when the enemy comes with an anxious thought or concern about something or about church or about this virus or whatever, I've got a track record going of years, about 40 years, that give me confidence that as God was with me then, God is with me now. As God provided for me then, God will provide for me now. Now, you build that. You don't just get it one day. You build it. If I was generous with my little bitty income and God took care of me and I began to tithe a bigger income and he took care of me and I gave some sacrificial gifts and I gave away a car or I gave away jewelry or I gave away something valuable to me and God has never let me go hungry, I've got a track record, a history that gives me confidence. I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to be okay. It's not, I'll just be okay that fell on me out of the air. It's a history. And some people don't have any history. So you can't have any confidence. You've got to step out. Faith is spelled risk, R-I-S-K. God says, I'm not going to do it for you. But it's kind of like daddy or mama waiting on your little two-year-old to jump to you in the pool. Boy, that's a big jump, right? I mean, it looks like it's never going to happen. And you want to make real sure you got them safe until finally they start enjoying and have confidence you'll catch them. 
Now, boy, you get Christians like that, that God will provide, God will protect, God will deliver, and you're going to become unstoppable. But you've got to build that history little by little, that's all. You don't go into the gym and pick up 400 pounds. You take those little pink ones. <laughs> the little pinkies that like five pounds or something, like, like picking up a hot dog or something and work on that. You, 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 so faith is progressive. You start, everybody has a little bit, but you can increase it. So our confidence level at this point in our lives after 44 years of marriage and walking with Jesus is way up here from where we started. Nobody starts off up here, right? Right? We, I'm not going to coffee with you guys. You just don't talk. <laughs> All right. So we entertain this idea in the back of our mind that maybe, just maybe, we can't depend on God. Maybe, just maybe, he'll let me down when I need him the most. That's sad. That's sad. Jesus said about all of our worries and anxieties. Those worries and anxieties dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. It should not dominate you. If there is someone or something competing for the, the, the title of Lord in my life, their greatest stronghold will be in my thought life. They will try to get in the way of your devotion to Jesus by getting in the way of how you think. If money could talk, if it, if it could put thoughts in your heart, it would always say, hey, you need me more than you need God. In addictive behavior, if it could talk, it would say, you need me more than you need God. That's what every distracting influence says to me. Well, what's God going to do for you? Really? What about the basics? What about comfort? What about the leaving you high and dry at the moment? The enemy will always talk to you like, hath God said, God, God, you will not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. See, he's coming right here. And that's where he comes to all of us. That's why the Bible says, take every thought captive. And my only way to do that is to just say, refuse that thought. It's a lie and quote truth against it. And I do it out loud. I have to do that every day, every day. Well, what if you get the virus? Then I'll pray for healing. What the heck? What do you think? What am I going to do? Lay down? Go in a fetal position? What would I do? I'll believe for healing. Exactly what I do. Any among you sick, let them call for the authority of the church. Let them anoint with all and pray a prayer of faith. So it's possible to get sick, but I'm not going to die without the permission of God. My days are numbered in a book. I have, God has made me that promise over and over in scriptures. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. You can attack me. You can delay me. Satan can do that. But God said to Satan with Job, he says, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. God has control of your life. Enemy can't take me out. Okay, so he make me sick. I recover. So what? Quit worrying about that. You're not going to die. And when God decides he wants you home, you're going to die. I don't care if you got 25 doctors around you and you got a billion dollars. When God decides it's time for his child to come home, you're coming. But when it's not your time, he will deliver you. I live with that confidence. So I don't live in fear about catching this or getting that or what if this happens or what if that happens. Again, a long history of his preservation and his goodness and mercy. If you want to live a one Lord lifestyle, then you have to decide today and put into practice 
every day that certain thoughts are off limits. I will not dwell on my doubts. I will not dwell on my fears. I will take no thought of such things. Not today, not ever. So when you move your thought life to the next level, you stop thinking about everything that could go wrong. And you start thinking about God's goodness, His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His deliverance, His plan for my life. Philippians 1.6, that which I've begun in you, I'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, come virus or no virus, come, come war or no war. If I began it in you, I'll finish it in you. And I've said that, I don't care if you're in a lawsuit or you're, you've lost a job, God said, if I began it in you, I'll, stop, I'll, I'll finish it in you. Now, who are you going to believe? See, everybody's believing somebody. Don't believe fake news. God says, I will deliver. If God makes a promise, he backs it up. If he says you're going to have a kid and you're 100 years old, you better paint the nursery. Have a shower. Not a washing shower, a baby shower. And God's given us those illustrations to encourage all of us. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God wants to be first. That's all. He doesn't want anybody else taking his place. I'm saying if you want to live a one Lord lifestyle, put Jesus at the top of whatever you think about list. And then there's one last thing you need to do. Make today your top priority. Make today your top priority. We all have a tendency to want to live in one of two places. One is the past because it was either so good or so bad. And we can't bring ourselves to let it go. The other is the future. That's because we either fool ourselves into believing that the future will magically become perfect, even if we do nothing about it today, or we obsessively dwell on the gloom and doom of the future because we're so afraid the worst is sure to happen. See, either way, whether it's the future or the past, whether you think it was good or bad, it prevents you from focusing on what most needs my attention. And I'm talking about today, this moment. Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. That's from him, okay? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has got enough trouble of its own. Worry about today. Carpe diem. Do it today. Today. In the final week of this series, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we have one life to live one day at a time, but we'll, we'll skip that until the last session. But a one Lord lifestyle has nothing to do with the past, nothing to do with the future, everything to do with today. This is the only thing I've got for sure is now, right now, today. Make it count. But you say, well, I'm planning on it. I quit saying I'm planning. Procrastination has killed more dreams and more destiny than any virus ever did. You know, tomorrow is not a day of the week. You won't find it on the calendar. It's not there. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Many people live with their lives, you know, with good intentions, I'm sure, thinking eventually I'm going to be fully committed to what I know is right, what I know is true. I know I need to make this adjustment, but not just yet. They keep thinking they got a lot of time, and they wonder why money keeps getting in the way, or compulsive behavior keeps getting in the way, or toxic relationships keep getting in the way. But tomorrow, that's not a day of the week. I don't have a problem. The Bible says don't boast about tomorrow. You know not what a day may bring forth. You get run over in our parking lot leaving today. Say, well, old Matt thought he was going to do this on Monday, but he just got squished out there. Two ladies ran over him. Didn't see that one coming. You don't know what's coming. That's what God says. That's why you do it today. Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. With God, it's always now, today. Do it now. And that's the best advice I could give anybody. 
So you can't live a one Lord lifestyle in the past or the future. You can only live it today. Finally, some otherwise brilliant football coaches have sabotaged their success, at least for a while, with the false idea they could win with a two-quarterback system. But it's never been done. It's just the nature of the game of football. One team, one quarterback, one leader. And some Christians have likewise sabotaged their success with the whole idea that I can live a Jesus and something else, a Jesus and someone else lifestyle. But like double quarterbacks, it never works. Inevitably, as Jesus calls you one direction, the direction of truth and beauty and goodness, the other master's calling you in a direction that's designed to lead you nowhere good. Last verse, Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems to be right, looks pretty good, but in the end, it leads to destruction. It's impossible to move two directions at the same time. So today, I challenge you, myself, to answer the call that Christ is extending to us all. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Do it today. Pave a path for your heart to follow into His presence. Focus your thoughts exclusively on Him and live this day as if it matters most of all because it does. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.